A number of years ago, there was a group of ladies that went to a ministry conference, and there was a representative there at this ministry conference that was from Logos. Uh, Logos is a Bible program that is available for your computer. It's kind of an amazing thing because I can look at it on my computer, I can look at it on my phone, I can look at it on my iPad, and so it's amazing how wherever I am, that's where I can go. Now, I would have never purchased this for myself. It's, it would have been something that I would never would have bought. But as the presenter was sharing it, uh, she saw it and decided that her pastor uh, needed to have one and with hopes that maybe one day he would be a better preacher, I think was what she was thinking. But she purchased it for me. And when I received this program, I'm amazed at all that's at my fingertips when I open this program. I have 47 different Bibles translations that I can use. Some of them are in Spanish, some of them are in Greekish, some of them are in Hebrew, so I can look at all of those different languages. And I actually counted this on Thursday, 47, and I got a notice today that I received two new translations, so I think I'm up to 49. So I have all of these different translations. I have a number of commentaries. I have a number of word studies, I have a number of maps, I have a, a number of dictionaries, and all of these things are right at my fingertips. Now, the first couple of conferences that I went to after I received this gift, anytime they had a Logos uh, seminar there, I attended one of those classes. And after each one of those classes, I would walk away and say, man, I am certainly not making full use of this program. And so I would go home and I would use what they taught and, and would be amazed at how I could do that. When I'm using, when I'm typing in a Word document, all I have to type is the address of the verse, highlight it, and it moves from the Bible program onto the sheet. It's almost like magic. That's such a time-saving thing that I don't even oftentimes look up a verse in, in my Bible. I just type in the verse. Nope, that's not the one I wanted. Hit delete. Type it in again. That's the one I want. All of those tools are there, and I'm slowly getting there, being able to make full use of this program. This morning, we're going back to our journey through 2 Corinthians, and you will notice in your bulletin that it says 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. You'll notice at the top of your bulletin outline there that it says 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. As I laid this passage out, I said, hey, this is what we're going to do. We're going to bite off all 10 verses. But yesterday morning, I realized there was no hope for us making it through all 10 verses. So this morning, we're going to look at, first, at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're just going to bite off those first two verses. And we're just going to examine these first two full verses. And our thought here as we look at these two verses, Paul is telling the people of Corinth to make full use of the grace of God. And so this morning as we think about this, that is our desire, that is our intent, is to recognize what it means to make full use of the grace of God. And that I want us to be challenged to make sure that we have made and that we are making full use of the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll just read the first two verses. I won't read all 10 to you, even though that was my intent. It says in verse 2, Working together with Him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, in a favorable time, 
I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, as we dive into this passage this morning, there are three headings that we're going to use. In verse 1 there, we see the association and we see the appeal. After seeing the association and after seeing the appeal, there needs to be action. Action needs to take place. And Paul is challenging them in verse 2 regarding that action. Before we dive into this this morning, let's just pause and pray for a moment. Father, we're grateful for this day that you've given to us. Grateful, Father, for your son Jesus. And as we think about all that we have because of your son, so grateful for that. So grateful, Lord, for the opportunity we have to pledge our allegiance to your son. And I pray, Lord, as we look into your word this morning, that we would be reminded just of the, of the privilege we have to be sons and daughters of you because of what your son Jesus has done for us. And so we're grateful for that. And I pray, Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, that you would open it up to us, that we would realize, Lord, just how important it is for us as individuals to make full use of the grace that has been given to us and appreciate this grace that has been shown to us as well. So Lord, just take my mind and my heart and my tongue and the Lord just allow us to hear from you today. So grateful, Father, for who you are. So grateful for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. Now, the first thing we wanna look at this morning is the association, the association. Look at the first part of verse one there in chapter six. It says, working together with him. Now, Paul has been speaking to us in chapter 5 about his ministry. And I know some of you guys have slept since then, so just take my word for it. He was sharing with them about the ministry of reconciliation and how that was his ministry. That's what he saw his ministry as he went out and proclaimed the gospel message. It was a message of reconciliation, reconciling man back up to where they should be with God. Because when Adam and Eve were created, they were there with God, they were without sin, they had that relationship. But because of sin, we are in need of reconciliation. And Paul's ministry is to make sure people are reconciled to God, giving them that opportunity, letting them hear about the opportunity of reconciliation. Now we saw Paul last time mention in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, about, about how God was making an appeal to them to be reconciled through Paul. Uh, this is 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. Just look back there. It says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So God is making this appeal through Paul. And he recognizes that, that this is God's appeal. This is not Paul's appeal. This is God's appeal. And as he shares this message of reconciliation, it's God making that appeal through Paul. He recognizes that. Now look at verse 1 of chapter 6 as it begins. Working together with him. Paul speaks about working together, the people of Corinth, working together but working with God, together with God. That that's where this ministry is. As ambassadors for Christ, 
As an ambassador for Christ, Paul was working together with God. Paul spoke about this association in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So that neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul, in this association, recognizing that his association is with God, he recognizes God's hand in this, and he's very humble about this. We're working with God. God is the one who's making the appeal. God is the one who's working. And so Paul realized God's hand in this. He realized what God's role was in this. As ambassadors of Christ, we ourselves are working together with God. As ambassadors for Christ, we're working together as ambassadors, but we're working together with God. Ambassadors work for God, with God and for God. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 says this, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Now, when I read this verse here, I started thinking about this and letting my mind roam with this. And that's always a dangerous thing. When I visit Rome, it's not good. <laughs> Think about this for a moment. Is there a better association for us to have? Is there a better association for us to have than to be working with God? There was a doctor that I had read about, and he had built up his practice in a small little town, and he decided that what he would do was associate his practice with another practice. And he and this doctor, and there were two doctors in the other office, he thought that maybe combining their resources would be a good thing because three minds are better than one. That was kind of his idea. And this was right before COVID came out. COVID came out. The thoughts that he had in regards to dealing with COVID were rejected by the other two. In the long run, he lost his practice as a result of the way he was handling COVID and the way the other two were handling COVID. I thought about that. What a rough association to spend your entire life of, of serving and building this practice up and then to associate with that group and lose everything. Our association with God is not that way. Uh, because of God, we have all of the resources. Because of the association we have with God, uh, it is so great. Uh, to be a co-laborer with God is a privilege. To co-labor with God is not only just a great association to have, but it is a great privilege to have. Paul wrote this to Timothy, who was a young pastor. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. 
and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of who I am the fourth most. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience and an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see, Paul recognized how special this association with God the Father was. He recognized that it was a privilege. It wasn't something he deserved. In fact, he deserved the opposite. But he recognized how great this privilege was. As co-laborers with God, it's a privilege. But you know, there's also a responsibility there as well. And, and that responsibility is, is one that is one that's laboring. And it's amazing as we think about this responsibility of laboring, we have everything we need to carry out the labor that God has for us as his co-laborers. This is Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand and we should walk in them. As co-laborers, God has designated us to labor in certain areas. God has prepared that field for us to labor in. He's given us everything we need because he's prepared it beforehand for us so that we can labor in that field that he has for us. Whatever that field may be, he has that for us. As co-laborers with him, what a privilege, what a responsibility, because our labor has been prepared, our place of work has been prepared for us. That's the association that we have. Now notice the appeal that he makes in verse 1. Then we appeal to you, not to receive the grace of God in vain. This is his appeal. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Now, as we think about that, I think it's interesting, this word appeal here uh, is a word for beg, okay? I'm begging you. This is his appeal. It's, it's that strong. I'm, I'm begging you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. I, I beg this of you. That's... That's the mindset. Now, as we think about the grace of God, it's just kind of a general term that's used here. It encompasses all that God has done for us, all of the grace and all of the mercy uh, that God has shown us, the, the opportunity that's been presented to us to, to be reconciled to God, the opportunity we have to become a new creature in Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Uh, that's all part of this grace of God. Uh, as we think about this being new creatures. Uh, but as we think about this grace of God being offered to us, uh, it changes our behavior. It changes our very being. That's the grace of God that's been offered to us. And that's the effect of the grace of God that it has on us. Now, this word for vain here carries the idea of a soap bubble. You know how it is when you have those soap bubbles for your kids? I love them because they were 99 cents at the $1.25 store. 
And my kids would want them, and I would say, hey, you guys want a prize at the store? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, great, here's bubbles. And they would get so excited. And we'd go out on the back porch, and we would blow them. And you know, there's absolutely no cleanup. <laughs> the bubble pops, and it's gone. And you know, use that whole bottle of entertainment, which we never did. We dumped out half of it when it got tipped over. But man, so great. But you know, there's nothing to those bubbles. When they're floating down, no matter how big or how small they are, when they pop, there's nothing there. And that's this idea of vain. There's, there's nothing there. It looks good when the light hits it, but there's nothing there. That's this idea of vain. Vain, he says, when we appeal to you uh, not to receive the grace of God in vain. Now, the grace of God is not what's vain. The grace of God is not what's vain. In fact, the grace of God is sufficient. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Paul says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God's grace is sufficient. There is nothing wrong with God's grace. He says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. God's grace is not to be received in vain. It's not God's grace that is lacking. But it's them who are receiving it. That's where the breakdown happens. Now think about this. How do we receive the grace of God in vain? How is this possible? I think one instance of this is for those who don't truly believe the gospel message. They uh, are not truly saved. They have heard the gospel they have head knowledge of the gospel. But the head knowledge has not traveled and become heart knowledge. Mm -hmm. That's the longest 18 inches in the world, by the way, from the head to the heart. So there's those who are here who are lacking saving faith. And Paul says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. The grace of God is being offered to you. There are those who are there who maybe receive the grace of God in a superficial way. But they haven't received it where it counts. Remember the parable of the sower and the seed? I think this is a great illustration of this. Matthew chapter 13 verse 3 says this. He told them many things in parables saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. Now we know from the sower in the, this ill parable that the seeds are the gospel message. Okay? Sower goes out, throws the gospel message, shares the gospel message. Uh, as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. So those seeds fell on hard hearts and no one received the seed, so no one was saved. Rejected it completely. Satan comes, he's the bird, takes the seeds away. No, no recognition of the gospel message. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, immediately sprung up, but since they had no depth of soil, it did not grow. Verse six. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among thorns. The thorns grew up and choked them. But other seeds grew, uh, other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain. And some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now when the grace of God is received, not in vain, there is fruit. There is a change. One is born again. One is truly saved. But for others, when the seed falls on their hearts, it's received in vain. Their hearts are like the rocky soil or like the weedy soil. And the gospel doesn't grow. The gospel doesn't take root. There's no fruit. And so Paul is speaking here. He's speaking about those who've who've not truly received the gospel message. There's no fruit. They've heard it, but they haven't heard it. And so Paul says, hey, don't receive the gospel message in vain. Maybe there were some there who received the grace of God, and they just put it on their to-do list. Now, we as husbands never do that, right? The wife says, hey, this is really what needs to happen. All right, you put it on the bottom of the list. Okay. I'll get to that, baby. It's on the honeydew list, but I'll get to it. I'll get to it, but it's just on the list. And why do it today when we can do it tomorrow, right? Sometimes that's how people look at the grace of God. They realize that they need to trust Christ as Lord and Savior. It's up here, but they're not willing to do it right here. They just want to wait. Maybe today's not a good day. I remember reading a story about an evangelist who went to a church and did some revival meetings, and it was on a Thursday night. And a young teenager came forward and she said, Oh, what you said about Jesus Christ, I so want to receive Christ as Savior. But she said, Tomorrow night there's going to be a party and it's going to be a big gathering and everybody who is everybody is going to be there. And I know if I trust Christ tonight as Lord and Savior that I won't be able to go tomorrow. So I really am going to wait until Saturday to do it because Saturday's a better day. Sometimes people can have that mindset. I remember sitting and thinking, you know what, I'll start living for Jesus when I'm 30 because all of the excitement's gone when you turn 25 and then when you turn 30, it's really over. So I'll get married when I turn 30 and I'll start living for Jesus soon after that. And I can remember thinking that. Thankfully, God did not allow me to procrastinate that. But we need to make sure that we have received Christ, that we're not procrastinating. And as we think about this, and as we think about this instruction of receiving the grace of God in vain, uh, my question for you today is, have you believed? Have you received? I, I don't, I'm not worried about tomorrow, something that you can do tomorrow, but I'm, I'm thinking about today. Uh, I don't think you know uh, what tomorrow holds. We don't have any idea what tomorrow holds. Have you believed and received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I don't think it's important for us to remember the date and the time. Some of you do. Yes, it was March 27th, 1923. You know exactly what date that was. Not all of us know that date, you know. Uh, some of you had your mom write it down in a Bible and you got it, so you have it. And it's on their headboard and you know exactly the date was. But some of us don't have those dates. But we should be able to look back and remember a time when we were confronted with our sins and when we realized there was a penalty for being sinful and realizing that Jesus was the only one that could save us from our sins. Mm -hmm. My uncle was the pastor, and he sat right here in the front row, and so I sat beside him. 
And I remember him sharing, and I can't tell you what he shared, but I, I remember and I looked at him and he just kind of winked at me and I just stood up and came to him and he told me that he was a sinner. He's a pastor. How can he be a sinner? But he said that he was lost and he sinned against God and he needed to be rescued. And I thought, man, if you need to be rescued, I definitely need to be rescued because I have a little sister. You were an only child. <laughs> and so he shared with me that the only way that we can be forgiven of our sin is if we turn to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and he was without sin. And if we are willing to be with Christ, Christ will pay the penalty for us. And he did pay the penalty for us. And it will be applied to our account if we would just turn to Jesus. And I remember standing there in the front of that little church. And I just, I didn't know what it all meant, but I knew that I needed Jesus. I can't tell you the day. I know it was a Sunday morning, but that's all I can tell you. But I do remember that moment in the third grade when I turned my life over to Christ. We should be able to remember that moment when we were confronted with our sins, when we realized that we needed a Savior. Do you remember that? Do you have that moment where you trusted Christ? Maybe you don't remember that time. Maybe you can't remember that. Maybe today is the day that you need to turn to Christ. And maybe if you think you were saved back then, but not really sure, make sure today that you know that you know Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior not trusting in your own words. Paul often shares with us the importance of examining ourselves. This is 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Hey, have you ever trusted Christ as Lord and Savior? He examine ourselves. This should be something we should do, making sure that we know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Make sure we've checked the boxes. We don't lose our salvation, but we need to make sure we had it, first of all, right? We need to make sure we had it. Those in this congregation that Paul was speaking to who had not truly received and believed could be susceptible to being misled. And we can be in that same boat today. We can be led astray. We can believe in a fake gospel. We can place our faith in the wrong things and that will lead to our spiritual ruin. We need to make sure that we know for certain where we're going to spend eternity. Now believers can receive the grace of God in vain as well. A person truly being saved, they believed and they received salvation and they are new creatures in Christ. But they fail to understand what it means to live within the grace of God. I remember hearing it said one time that Christ died for all of our sins before we committed any of our sins. But yet some Christians trust Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and recognize that they've been forgiven. And then they spend their Christian lives trying to achieve perfection, fearful 
that they're going to lose their salvation. And they fall into the trap of legalism because they fail to understand what it means to live within the grace of God. The grace of God is so great that it saves us. The grace of God is so great that it keeps us saved. Isn't that amazing? And that's what it means to recognize and not allow the grace of God to be trusted in vain or to be recognized in vain because it saves us. Not just the moment that we trust Christ, but Philippians tells us that it continues working on us, the grace of God, until the day we meet our maker. That's what the grace of God does. The legalistic mindset can hinder us from living in such a way that God is glorified. The legalistic mindset can hinder us from living within the power of the Spirit, and we seek to try to live the Christian life by our own power. And that's not good. Romans 8, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore there now is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Grace of God. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We have victory. We have victory in Christ. The people of Galatia had fallen into this trap of legalism. And Paul shares this in Galatians 3.3. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Can you hear him say that? Are you so foolish? Can you see that? I mean, I see that Richard Lemon look. Are you so foolish? You are just like your mama. Man, that's what he's saying. Are you so foolish that you began this by the grace of God, but now you think that you can live on your own, not according to the grace of God? You are accepting the grace of God in vain. Maybe we're here today and our lives don't reflect the position that we have in Christ. Maybe we've been living in such a way, instead of dying to self, uh, we've continued to allow the flesh to be in control. We see the people of Corinth struggling. And they're struggling because they're seeking to live carnal lives. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. You see, when we live and we take the grace of God in vain, then we're going to live by the flesh. We're not going to live in reliance on the grace of God. We're going to live it in the flesh. They needed to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. Peter says this in 2 Peter 3.18, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. When we think about what we have with the grace of God, how can we not step back and say amen and turn into a little worship service? Amen. Because the grace of God is amazing. We should have a song about that, huh? Amazing grace, it sounds so sweet. Man, I should write that this week. <laughs> but that's what the grace of God did. And that's what the grace of God is. And Paul tells the people of Corinth, 
don't receive the grace of God in vain. Paul didn't. Paul did not receive the grace of God in vain. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. It wasn't a soap bubble. God offered me his grace. It wasn't a soap bubble. I took that grace and I ran. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God in me. Paul's life was changed. Inside, outside, upside, downside, outward, inward. With a fox, not in a fox. In a house, with a mouse. His life was changed in every aspect. The grace of God was not in vain. And Paul tells the people of Corinth, this is my appeal to you. Don't accept the grace of God in vain. And you know, people, that needs to be us as well. The grace of God is greater than anything we can grasp or imagine. And the more I look at it, the more I just stand back and say, grace is amazing. Grace is amazing. It's amazing grace. That's what it is. It's unfathomable how great it is. But you know, it's enough to save us. It's enough to keep us saved. It's enough to help us to walk and live the Christian life. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. That's his appeal. Now notice the action that needs, that needs to be taken here. He says in verse 2, For, he says, In a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I have helped you. A favorable time. Now, if you have footnotes in your Bible, mine... Uh, I have the English Standard Version, and it kind of is indented here. Uh, if you have the New American Standard, it's probably in italics. What that's letting us know is that Paul is quoting the Old Testament. And if you look here, there's a cross-reference, and it'll say Isaiah 49, verse 8. He's cross-referencing Isaiah 49, verse 8. He's taking Isaiah 49, verse 8, and he's applying it to his ministry. Now, this is Isaiah 49, verse 7. In my Bible, verse 7 is right before verse 8. really works out cool. <coughs> wow. I breathed. <coughs> and I coughed and threw my back out. <laughs> Isaiah 49, verse 7. It says this. Thus says the Lord the Redeemer of Israel, and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. Now this is speaking about the Messiah. There was a time when the Messiah was deeply despised, right? went to the cross, went to the cross. That's what this is speaking about. Now verse eight says this, thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. 
I will keep you and I will give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, the, appro the apportion, the desolate heritages. Isaiah 49, the Messiah is asking God for grace to be given to sinners. Isaiah 49, 7 speaks of the Messiah will be rejected and he was rejected. But God speaks about a time of favor, that there will be a time of favor. And Paul takes that time of favor and he applies it to his ministry. Paul says right now, during this day and age, there's a time of favor. And God will offer forgiveness. God will offer this salvation to those who turn to him. Salvation is possible. Now notice what he says in verse 2. Behold, now is the favorable time. This era has been ushered in. This favorable time is here. You see, the Messiah came into the world. And the Messiah came into the world at just the right time. Galatians 4, verse 4 says this, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. The Messiah was rejected, wasn't he? The Messiah was rejected, he was crucified. But you know, he was crucified on time. For the Passover lamb, the day that he was to be sacrificed, the Lamb of God was sacrificed on that very day at the right time. Three days later, he rose again. He was buried, and on the third day he rose, just like he said he was. Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, give it four or five days, maybe three, uh, you know, uh, take a pill, you're healthy in seven days, don't, and it'll be a week. Uh, either way, he didn't say that. He said, I'll rise again in three days. And on the third day, the ladies went to the tomb and it was empty. Amen. Just as he promised it would be. We have forgiveness of sin because of the empty tomb. This is Romans 4.25. It was delivered up for our trespasses. And he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our forgiveness just at the right time. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of salvation. He says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you notice the word now? That is present tense. Present tense is now. Right now is now. Tomorrow is not now. Yesterday is not now. Ten minutes ago is not now. Right now is the present time. And he said, right now in this present time is the day of salvation. There's an urgency here. There's an urgency here. This time is not going to last forever. Because isn't it amazing how fleeting time is? Uh, it's amazing to me. I look at my own kids and I see my own kids have grown up and I've seen they've aged. 
But when I don't see other people's kids for a while, even if they're close in age to my own kids, I'll look at them and go, what in the world happened to you? How can you be 16? Okay, so you are the age of one of my children, but that doesn't make a difference. How can you be 16? It doesn't make sense. Time goes by so quick. Now is the time for salvation. Now is the day. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says this, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Life is short, and it can all end in a second. We don't know. The decision of salvation is not a decision that you should postpone. The grace of God has been offered to you. Now is the day of salvation. If you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, don't put it off. The decision for salvation must be made. It can't be a decision that's postponed. Remember Governor Felix? The Apostle Paul came before Governor Felix and shared with him the gospel of Jesus Christ. Acts 24, 25 says this, as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Paul laid it all out for Felix. Felix was alarmed. It touched Felix's heartstrings. You mean to tell me that I could die and go to eternity and be lost forever, suffering the consequences of my sin forever? He was alarmed by it. But Felix said to Paul, and I quote, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. We go through the rest of the book of Acts and we never see Felix summon Paul again. I don't know if Felix ever trusted Christ. We don't read that he did. In that moment, Felix could have trusted Christ but he didn't take advantage. You know, we only get one shot at this life. We only get one shot. There's no such thing as reincarnation, that, hey, maybe the next time I'll come back as a mosquito. It doesn't happen. We get one shot at this life. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 says this, just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. We get one shot. We get one shot. Psalm 90, verse 12. Moses looks at this and he thinks about life. He says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Moses knew that one day he was going to stand before a holy God and he was going to give an account. That's going to happen to us. But you know, the day of salvation is right now. The day of salvation is right now. If you've never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, right now is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you can trust Christ. November 13th, 2022, there is not a better day because today is the day. Right now is the time. So if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, don't let today go by. Don't let this moment right now go by without trusting Christ as Lord and Savior. Maybe you're here today and you've already trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. But maybe there's some things that have snuck into your life that you've allowed to come and harbor in your life. Mm -hmm. Take advantage of the grace of God. 
Seek forgiveness for those sins that you're committing. Lay those in his feet. Confess them. He's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us of all unrighteousness. Mm -hmm. And he'll help us to walk with him again. Mm -hmm. But don't let that grace, don't ignore that grace. Don't shun that grace. Recognize that grace is there for you today. And receive that grace. As ambassadors of Christ, we need to be making an appeal to people because now is the day of salvation. You know, there's going to be a come a time when it's too late that the final trumpet's going to sound, we're going to be caught up with Christ, and there's going to be no one else, no one else to share. We need to take advantage as ambassadors of Christ sharing the message of reconciliation. We need to be about the work, proclaiming the message. Today is the day of salvation. We see the association being associated with God and his work. There's no better association. An appeal is being made. Today is this day of salvation. Action needs to be taken. If we've never trusted Christ, we need to take action. There are people out there that don't know Jesus yet. We've got to take action, and we've got to be telling them about Jesus. The harvest fields are ripe and ready for harvest. We need to be ready to be in the harvest field. What do we take home from this? I think the first thing that we need to take home from this, I think we need to be encouraged that we are co-laborers with Christ. That's a great association. That is a great association. We need to recognize that for some reason, he's chosen us to co-labor with him. <laughs> uh, what a privilege. What a privilege. The day of salvation is today. Tomorrow is not guaranteed. Today is the day of salvation. Don't be one. Don't be one who receives the grace of God in vain. Maybe you're here today and you're procrastinating it waiting for a different day. But you know, today ends in why, just like Sunday. Today is the day. Right now is the time. Make that decision to follow Christ. Don't put it off. Don't be one who receives the grace of God in vain. But be like the Apostle Paul, receiving that grace and running with that, that grace that's been given to him. Because just like you, just like Paul, we don't deserve the grace of God for some crazy reason he's poured it on us don't receive it in vain 